0: sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.
1: This is our number one of the World According to Zig podcast for this March 3rd, 2019. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you still get the truth about the news of the day. From a conservative perspective in this world turned totally upside down. Our number two, we do have a very special guest. Uh, We're going to be using the interview that we did today with conservative commentator and the godfather of the Never Trump conservative movement, Bill Kristol, both for the World According to Zig podcast, which will be our number two, as well as uh, part of the Individual One podcast. For those of you who may have missed it, for the last several weeks, I have been doing uh, two podcasts. This one, World According to Zig, each Sunday, and the Individual One podcast, which focuses almost entirely on news related to President Trump. That's being done on Sundays and on Wednesdays, uh, Los Angeles time in the morning, on Sunday and on Wednesday. So that's bi-weekly. And I urge you to check out the Individual One podcast and specifically our Twitter feed, which is at Individual, the number one pod. That's Individual One Pod. So the Bill Crystal interview will be the centerpiece of the most recent episode of the Individual One podcast, as well as all the most uh, recent news regarding Donald Trump, and there is a lot of it. I will go through some of it here, so there'll be a little bit of duplication for the World According to Zig podcast, but there's some other non-Trump-related news that I want to get to as well in this hour of the World According to Zig podcast. So basically, you've got uh, two chances now uh, to check out what I have to say, uh, both uh both of them will deal somewhat with Donald Trump, Individual One almost entirely with Donald Trump, and I would say uh, this one, maybe uh, half of the, uh, the uh, content will be Trump-related. And, of course, the, make sure you check out the Bill Crystal interview in hour number two as well as in the Individual One podcast, which you can find uh, on iTunes and via my Twitter feed and, and basically most places where uh, podcasts are available. Yesterday, Donald Trump spoke at CPAC for two hours and uh, 20 minutes. <laughs> which right off the bat, I mean, come on, let's be serious. It's just flat out ridiculous. It's also selfish as hell because uh, not only is it beyond narcissistic and uh, Fidel Castro-like, and I know this is this is something I'm sure never even remotely occurred to Donald Trump, but, you know, there are other speakers at CPAC. <laughs> I mean, so the CPAC schedule probably got delayed, I mean, by at least an hour and a half, if not more. Which meant that uh, there were speakers probably at the end of the day yesterday that had nobody around because everyone was already scheduled to leave. Either that or they had to have their, their speaking uh, times uh, truncated or maybe even got uh, eliminated entirely. I don't know. I wasn't there. I'm, shockingly, I'm not invited anymore. Uh, but the uh, but my I have an interesting history with CPAC, and I think it's important to understand in the context uh, of the craziness that was CPAC this week, and specifically Trump's speech yesterday. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? It was ten years ago, in 2009, after I had just done, or was in the process of releasing, actually. That week, I went on The Today Show with Matt Lauer to release my second documentary film, Media Malpractice, How Obama Got Elected and Palin Was Targeted. And that uh, year at CPAC, I was a co-sponsor. Now, you know, for a cynic, I can sometimes be naive because one of the um, vulnerabilities I have is that when I go into meeting a new person or a new organization, I, I don't presume that they're all virtuous, but I at least give them a clean slate. And I allow them to prove to me that they are, if they are, in fact, horrible, I allow them to prove that to me. So basically, you're innocent until proven guilty with John Ziegler, which puts me at an inherent disadvantage. I actually think that that's a a big part of how liars get ahead in this world, because they're one step ahead of you in the chess match. Because the the people who are honest, they have to wait for you to prove to them that you are a liar. Well, with CPAC, I thought, okay, wow, this is great. Conservative Political Action Conference. This is about, uh, con- you know, espousing conservative ideas, exchanging views, you know, meeting people who uh, feel the same way you do. I had been part of CPAC uh, two previous years as a, a speaker, but this particular year I was a, a co-sponsor because of the movie, which meant that, among other things, I was allowed to come to the pre-planning meetings, and so I came all the way across the country from Los Angeles to Washington, D.C. to be part of the planning for the 2009 CPAC. And at that time, CPAC was headed by a guy by the name of David Keene. Uh, and I didn't like David Keene, but I didn't know he was a total scumbag uh, at that time, uh, which I would later find out and later have a very high-profile confrontation with him where he uh, threatened to punch me on camera. <laughs> but but this had not happened yet. So... Uh, So we're having this pre-planning meeting, and on the schedule to speak are a couple people that I'm like, wait a minute. Why are they being allowed to speak at CPAC? Number one was Joe Scarborough, who I believed had been integral to Barack Obama's election. Uh, And, you know, Joe Scarborough on MSNBC, I mean, he has uh, effectively been uh, an Uncle Tom for the conservative movement for quite a while. But he was really an Uncle Tom when it came to Barack Obama. He was one of those— you know conservatives who decided i'm going to be seen by my friends in the liberal elite as one of the good conservatives because i will see the greatness of barack obama and i'm like wait a minute why are we having a guy speak who was integral in obama's election and everyone at the meeting went oh yeah mm, 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 yeah absolutely that's wrong and i thought that david keen who was running the meeting effectively uh, acknowledged that we had unanimous consent to not have Joe Scarborough speak. And then I said, it's not just Joe Scarborough. Uh, we also have on, on the list of, of major speakers, a guy by the name of Jerome Corsi. Now, Jerome Corsi is a 9-11 conspiracy, truth or nut job. Why in the world? This was back in 2009 when 9-11 still mattered. Right. When, remember that? Remember that? When we still cared about 9-11, we said we would never forget. Uh, you know, and this was a huge part of why uh, George W. Bush had been a two term president. You know, so um, we're living in a different world then in 2009. And I said to the to the uh, the committee, I said, Jerome Corsi has no business speaking here because he's a nine eleven truther. And again, oh, yeah, mm, mm, absolutely. Wow. Yes, you're, you're right. You're, you're right. Zig, 100 percent. And again, I thought David Keene had uh, said, okay, yep. In fact, I think he said something along the lines of, "Yeah, you know, those are very good points, and I think we, we should uh, act on them or something along. I had the impression that neither of those guys were going to speak. So, of course, the speaking schedule comes out, and guess what? They're both on the schedule. And it's clear why they're both on the schedule. One, because uh, Joe Scarborough was a celebrity, and they wanted uh, uh, celebrities. And I think Joe Scarborough's radio show had paid uh, to be uh, part of the proceedings. So it's basically pay for play. Jerome Corsi, I presume, also must have paid, but there's an interesting side element to that. And that is that, of course, we now fast forward all these years later. And who's embroiled, at least tangentially, in the Russian scandal? Well, David Keene was effectively running the NRA when a Russian spy was taking David Keene and other top NRA members to Moscow for a trip to meet, for, to try to raise money from Russian sources. She's been indicted. Paul Erickson, a close associate of David Keene, uh, is in big legal trouble, a friend of mine who ends up being Maria Butina, the Russian spy's girlfriend. And who, it is, who is it that's working with Roger Stone on the WikiLeaks emails? you got it, Jerome Corsi. Now, part of this is it's not a bump, bump, bum in the sense that this is all big conspiracy. The right wing, quote unquote, conspiracy, as Hillary Clinton used to refer to it, is a very small group of people. And they're all scumbags all of them. I've met all of them. I've dealt with all of them. They're they're terrible people. And they don't give a crap about conservatism. They don't even care really about winning elections that much. All they care about is money and prestige. That's all they care about. And and it was clear to me even before what I would later learn about David Keene and the whole Russian thing and Jerome Corsi, that when they allowed Scorborough and Corsi to speak and that this was all basically just pay for play, that this was a, 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 a fraudulent organization. And I wanted nothing to do with them anymore, and that's when I had my confrontation with David Keene at a, at a California version of CPAC, which is much, much smaller. And at that point, I was effectively kicked out of the conservative movement, and I haven't regretted it for one day but here's where it gets to Trump. So Trump, I believe, understood, and I will give Trump credit for this. He, because he's a fraud and because he's a con man, he can recognize it in others very, very quickly. And he wanted to infiltrate the conservative movement. Now, of course, he couldn't be taken seriously in conservative circles because he's a lifelong liberal, <laughs> He's a Manhattanite who has been, quote, very pro-choice and and all sorts of other liberal issues. He's never been a a Republican. He's never been a conservative. And so in order to do this, he needed an entree. He needed a foot in the door. And he realized and how he knew it. I don't know. Maybe Roger Stone clued him in. I think Roger Stone might have clued him in that. Hey, look, CPAC's a fraud. All you got to do is write him a check and you can get a nice uh, prominent speaking role and people will will think that you've been vetted as a conservative. You can pretend to be a conservative. So in 2011, Trump does that. He pays them $50,000 and they let him speak in a high profile role. And he pretends to be a conservative. Same thing happens in 2012. He pays another $50,000. I'm presuming that the checks did not bounce. Otherwise, they would not have allowed him to speak a second time. Correct. So he pays them $100,000. And uh, this is important. This is how this whole thing happens. Because everything is a domino effect. Without him speaking at back in 2011, 2012, I doubt very seriously, because people forget, he talked about running for president in 2012 very briefly. In fact, I even wrote an article I found recently, which I had totally forgotten I had written, Mm -hmm. condemning the idea that Donald Trump should run for president as a Republican in 2012 because he's a fraud, a con man, and not a conservative. Boy, how things change. So, or not so much. But here's why it's important. If that doesn't happen, he doesn't, get any traction talking about running for president as a Republican. And if that doesn't happen, guess who doesn't seek out his endorsement in 2012 in a very high-profile press conference? Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney never does that. There's no need to do that because Donald Trump isn't perceived as relevant. He has no street cred. He's a Manhattan liberal. He's just a reality TV host. And Romney doesn't elevate him further. Interestingly, this is the kind of, same kind of reasoning why meeting with Kim Jong il, uh, and I'm um, sure Kim Jong un, is a bad idea, especially when you get nothing in return, because you're elevating him. I mean, <laughs> effectively, Trump is doing to Kim Jong un what Romney did to Donald Trump. You're elevating a bad person while getting nothing in return. And that's what Romney did. And, and that is the, one of the biggest mistakes Romney ever made, if not the biggest. And I hope he regrets it for the rest of his life. Because without that, I'm not sure we get Trump in 2016, because it's all a domino effect. So anyway, that sets the stage for now. Everything's totally upside down. Not only is Trump not paying $50,000, he's the centerpiece of the CPAC convention, and he's speaking for two hours and 20 minutes of hot garbage. I mean, complete, total garbage. I mean, he's, he's ranting and raving about his inaugural crowd. He, he's, he's claiming that the, the Russian investigation is bullshit and it's only because he hired a few bad people? Hired a few bad people? He's making fun of Jeff Sessions' accent? I, I mean, uh, which is, is hilarious because I am now believing that Trump is openly mocking his base and they don't even realize it because they're just that dumb. I love the poorly educated. I mean, here Jeff Sessions is his first prominent endorser, highly popular senator from Alabama. He puts it all on the line to endorse Donald Trump, helps get him the presidential nomination. And what does he get in return? Well, he gets the attorney general's job, but because he refuses, which is the proper thing to do, to not recuse himself from the Russian investigation, he gets shit on by Donald Trump for well over a year before then being unceremoniously fired the day after Trump gets his ass kicked in the midterm elections. And then it's still not over because he's still mocking him even for his accent. Now, what does that tell you? When Trump's mocking your Southern accent and it's 100% in keeping with what is clearly his worldview, he thinks very little of Southerners even though southerners are his entire base of support. Similarly, before his CPAC speech, he came out and he hugged, molested, effectively Me Too'd the American flag. I think he was mocking his base when he did that, too, because he knew they would love it because they're morons. They think, oh, he loves America so much he can't help but molest the American flag on his way to the podium. And if Barack Obama had done the same thing, it's all we would be talking about. The conservative media would be in total meltdown. uh, But the hypocrisy knows no bounds. And this two hours and 20 minutes of hot garbage, his fans loved. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? And it's one of many things that have happened over the last several days that are, are certainly worthy of mention. Obviously, the Michael Cohen testimony, which is already being forgotten, believe it or not. And I wrote a column about my take on it, which you can find at freespeechbroadcasting.com, our website for the World According to Zig podcast, in which, once again, and I get accused all the time of having a Trump derangement syndrome. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable how often people—that's uh, that's about the only thing that Trump fans uh, can use to try to discredit me. Oh, you've got TDS. Really, if I have TDS, then why is it that I'm consistently and constantly writing columns saying, yeah, this isn't going to hurt Trump? And why am I almost always right, if not 100% right, when it comes to those predictions? If I was not objective, I would be seeing things like the Michael Cohen testimony and be going, oh, my God, he's finally going to be going down. Thank God it's over. He's going to be ousted from office. He'll be impeached and removed. No, no, because if there's one thing I am, it's objective. I have often joked that I'm the most objective person in the world, and damn it, no one can convince me otherwise. Trump fans probably can't figure out why that's funny or ironic, but it is. I love the poorly educated. The reality is that I see Donald Trump with my eyes wide open, uh, and I'm exceedingly objective. In fact, I have bent over backwards to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. I have been over backwards trying to hope that this was going to be better than I feared. But it hasn't been, regardless of what his fans try to claim. And the Cohen testimony was terrible. It was terrible for America. Elijah Cummings, the Democratic uh, congressman, tried to put lipstick on the pig of that uh, hearing by claiming, We're better than that. Yeah, but we're not. I'm sorry to tell you, Congressman Cummings, we're not. We're better than that. No, no, we're not. If, if we were, Trump wouldn't be president. Michael Cohen never would have been the president's personal attorney. The president wouldn't have a 42, 43 percent approval rating after two years of massive scandal breaking virtually every promise that he claimed he was going to make. I mean, you know, we've gotten look, we've gotten uh, tax cuts that were not paid for and uh, a lot more conservative judges than we would have had if Hillary Clinton had won. Yep, that's what we got. Uh it's important to keep in mind with regard to judges that Kennedy would not have retired. So there would be one uh moderate Supreme Court justice as opposed to one allegedly conservative Supreme Court justice. So that's important. That's good. Uh but we and we have the tax cuts that are not paid for. Um uh, you know the economy hasn't tanked, but I give Trump no credit for that because I don't know what he's done. Uh, if, if anything, he's tried to destroy it with his tariffs, and he's been unable to do that. But in, in exchange for that, uh, and maybe a few other things that are fairly minor, we're having to pay an enormous price here, both in the short run and in, especially in the long run, because the, the back of conservatism has been broken. And that's something that I talked with Bill Crystal about in hour number two and in on the, also on the individual on podcast. Uh, Because in the long run, I really do fear we're going to be in a situation like California is, where with the back of conservatism broken, there's no way to hold the line against liberal socialism like what happened here in California after Arnold Schwarzenegger was gone. Schwarzenegger and Trump are exceedingly similar uh, personalities, and I see history repeating itself, only maybe more dramatically on the uh, national level, although obviously, you know, (laughs) It's possible to hold some pieces of it together because of demographics, which are different throughout the rest of the country but than they are in California. But it's not as different as you might think. So um, the Cohen testimony was depressing, and it's, it was depressing uh, not just because it showed that America is being led by a low-rate mob boss, but also because I, I think Trump, like a, a low-rate mob boss, like a Tony Soprano, is really pretty street smart— and he's not that dumb. A lot of people—I talk off often about uh, this bet that I've made with a friend of mine who works at a very pro-Trump, state-run media organization who despises Trump maybe even more than I do. And this bet that uh, we made that Trump will be gone, they believe that Trump will be gone by the end of this year, and I've said, no way. There's no way Trump will be gone from office, uh, either by resigning or being forced out by the end of this year. I just don't see that happening. In fact, we even doubled the bet— fairly recently. Well, the the basis of this person's belief is that Trump is a complete moron and that because he's a moron, uh, investigations are going to be able to find very easily proven crimes. And I just don't believe that. I think he is a moron when it comes to book smarts, but when it comes to street smarts, he's actually close to a savant and especially knowing what he can get away with, especially when you consider that this is mostly political and not legal, at least while he's still in office. And he has been a genius at knowing what he can get away with. If anything, he's underestimated what he can get away with. I I believe that the core of the Russian uh, scandal, and let's be clear, and I said this in my column about Michael Cohen, the collusion uh, theory took a big hit with Michael Cohen's testimony, which is, again, something that a person with Trump derangement syndrome would not be able to tell you or not be able to see. But he said he was not in Prague. He said he has no direct evidence of collusion, which by the way proves he has credibility because if he was lying, that's the first thing he would lie about. Is I have evidence of collusion? Trump told me this, or Trump told me that, or I overheard this. He didn't do that. So at least be at least make some damn sense in your theory that Michael Cohen is lying to hurt Trump. Well, why isn't he doing anything on collusion, although he says he has his suspicions. So the the reality here is that that I think Trump has made it so it's going to be very difficult to prove some of these things. Did they happen? Absolutely. Did did he force Michael Cohen and Michael Cohen's mind to lie to Congress? I'm completely convinced of that regarding the timing of the Moscow trip uh, tower, the Moscow tower project, which again, going back to it, to Trump underestimating his ability to get away with stuff. I think that's the core of the scandal, the Moscow Tower project. I don't think Trump thought he could get away with that, (laughs) that his base would find out that he was lying the whole time during the entire campaign and was trying to get a Moscow Tower in uh, Russia all the way through the general election. I don't think he thought he could get away with that. And the funny part is, yeah, He could have gotten away with that. Correct. I mean, we've seen the reaction. That has been basically zero, partially because in some people's minds, it hasn't been 100% defined or proven. In my mind, it has been. But once it is, it's going to be lost in an avalanche of other shit. And, uh, you know, so that to me is what, at least based upon what we know today, Trump was trying to protect and why all the lies, because they didn't think people were going to put up with that. He even underestimated how much he could rely on his base. I love the poorly educated. I mean, that's that's where we are. So I am not convinced, well, I'm I'm totally convinced that Trump uh, intended to uh, break uh, numerous laws and to commit multiple crimes, proving it in a way that's going to make a political difference. I am exceedingly pessimistic about that. I do not think that's going to happen. But check out my column at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. I wrote another column I want you to take a look at about uh, his comments, Trump's comments about uh, Otto Wambier, the American student who was uh, captured, kidnapped in uh, North Korea, and then tortured and effectively uh, murdered before being uh, having his uh, body uh, finally sent back to America to, for him to die. Uh, he told uh, the world at a press conference with Kim Jong-un in Vietnam that uh he took kim jong un at his word at his word that he had no knowledge or anything to do with the uh, torture and murder of Otto Warmbier now uh that's just a lie that that there's just i just do not believe that lie, lie,
0: lie, 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 lie.
1: now there are those who claim that it's plausible that uh, kim jong un I did not know. I don't believe it. But it doesn't even matter in this particular set of circumstances. Trump claims that he I love this. He claimed in his seatback speech, I'm in such a tough spot on this one because he's now trying to draw back his statements that he took the word of Kim Jong-un over our own investigative agencies, as well as the parents of Ottawa Wambier, who are still in mourning over the brutal, horrible death of their son. Um, but folks, uh, that's why you get paid the big bucks, Donald Trump. That's why you were hired. You're the one who supposedly has this great judgment. You know, he claims he's going to hire all the best people. And then yesterday he's whining about how, because he didn't hire all the best people, uh, Mueller's going after him with this bullshit. That's what he said. So which is it? Um, you're, yeah, okay, maybe it's a tough spot. The, the tough spot is this. You say you do not believe Kim Jong-un, that you believe our intelligence agencies. And until proven otherwise, not just the word, Of a guy who killed his own family member in cold blood at an airport, uh, um, you, you don't just take his word. And you don't do so in a way that elevates him and diminishes, among other people, the parents, American citizens of Ottawa beer. I mean, that's what he did. And he screwed up and he's trying to backtrack, but it's too late. He claimed he was misrepresented. He was not misrepresented. He said what he believes, and the reason why he believed it, there are those who, who go conspiratorial, and they think, well, wow, this is just like Putin. This is like just the, the crown prince of, of Saudi Arabia. Kim Jong-un, why is he taking the word of all these people above our own intelligence agencies? He must be co-opted. He must be compromised. And there, it is certainly possible, especially with Russia and Saudi Arabia, that that is part of the equation. But the column that I wrote, I think, goes— to a much simpler and i believe at least currently a far uh, more accurate explanation for what it is that motivates trump and that is that there are five basic characteristics that trump uses to evaluate the credibility of any human being they are terrible characteristics to be evaluating someone's credibility but this is the trump the way trump views the world and in no particular order they are a person's fame a person's wealth a person's power, what that person has said about them in the fut- in the past, and maybe would be likely to say in the future, and what this person can do for them in the present or in the future. Those are the five things. Now, none of those five things should be impacting a president of the United States as they evaluates evaluate the credibility of a dictator. But when Trump looks at, for instance, Putin, he sees one of the richest men in the world, one of the most powerful men in the world. Well, um, a very famous man, a man who has said nice things about him, a man who can do things for him or not do things potentially against him. So this is the way Trump evaluates credibility, not based upon facts, not based upon logic, not based upon right and wrong. And I go into what this means and, and why it's so incredibly dangerous. The number one thing a president should possess is at least caring more about the country than his own self-interest, and Trump does not do that. Trump looks at everything through a prism of narcissism, far worse narcissism than even Barack Obama, who was a a, a clear narcissist. And so, um, the the one beer thing uh, bothered me and a lot of the people greatly, but I think I have a different explanation for why that happened. And you should check it out at uh, freespeechbroadcasting.com. Uh, I do want to mention a few things that have nothing to do with uh, Donald Trump uh, before this hour of the World According to Zig podcast is over. This past weekend, there was the Academy Awards. I predicted on the last edition of the World According to Zig podcast that it would be the, the lowest rated Academy Awards ever. I was wrong it was the second lowest rated academy awards ever it barely beat out last year i should have uh, understood the impact that the lady gaga and bradley cooper song shallow which my six-year-old daughter cannot stop singing even to this day <laughs> that that impact uh, was clearly uh, rather large and brought some people to the table when it came to the, uh, the Academy Awards ceremony. The other, other thing that may have, and I didn't go deeply into the numbers to know whether or not the facts back this up, but obviously the Oscars went way overboard. Way overboard when it came to appealing to a black audience this year, and maybe they brought in uh, some more African Americans than would normally watch the show, which just a few years ago uh, was protested as being uh, Oscars So White. Remember that uh, hashtag on Twitter, Oscars So White. Well, uh, boy, did they react, and then frankly, I believe, overreacted to what clearly was a problem. I mean, let's be clear. I mean, if you look at, at the Oscars over the years, uh, you know, especially um, well, frankly, through almost its entire history, while there have been some exceptions, uh, there have been very, there's been very little black representation. Now, you could argue that people thought they were making decisions based purely on content and on quality. You know, I don't know, but certainly, in a percentage basis. Uh, you could make a strong argument that uh, blacks were underrepresented at the Academy Awards. You cannot make that argument this year. (laughs) Frankly, if if someone knew nothing about the United States of America and all they saw were the Academy Awards ceremony, not just the awards, but the ceremony itself, you would think that uh, America was majority black and Hollywood for sure is majority black. And I I wanted to go through this, but I, frankly, I've been very busy lately, so I didn't have the time. But it is my guess that if if you went through the whole broadcast, I doubt, excluding commercials, that there was more than a two or three minute period of time when a black person was not on screen speaking. I'm being very serious about that. I don't know that there was, you know what, Maybe during the <laughs> Bradley Cooper Lady Gaga song that might have been the that might have been the longest duration in which a black person was not on screen in some significant way. It was almost like there was a rule, and of course, many of the the top films that were being honored uh, had black themes: Black Panther, Black Klansman, the winner of the Academy Award, The Green Book, was effectively a a racial a very racial movie, a movie about a white guy and a black guy taking a trip across the country. And, you know, I did not see Green Book before the Academy Awards, but I saw it after. I saw it because I got a screener, a DVD screener. So I, I because it won, I figured, okay, well, I got to watch this and see if it's any good. And it was nice. It was a nice movie, uh, Green Book. I don't even know is it the Green Book or Green Book, I mean, whatever it is. Green, you know what it is. It's the, the Academy Award winner is Green Book, and uh, and it stars Mahershala Ali, who is a great actor. I just watched him in uh, however many episodes of of the uh, True Detective three, which had a horrendous ending, by the way. I just it was terrible, uh, but he himself was fantastic in it. And Mahershala Ali is great in uh, Green Book, but the movie itself, I mean, Academy Award winner, best movie in all of 2018. That, to me, felt like a stretch, and I particularly uh, was offended because it seems like, and consistent with the theme of the entire Academy Awards, is that basically now, in order to be considered a great movie, you have to rip on white people as being racist, or at the very least, you have to elevate homosexuality. That's really, those are really the only two paths to getting nominated. The only exception was A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. White people were are heterosexual. <gasps> How daring? <laughs> You're making a movie about white people who are heterosexual? Wow. You know what? That's going to be groundbreaking in a couple of years. It really will be, especially at the Academy Awards, because they've gone so far overboard in the other direction. And uh, and what bothered me about Green Book is this, this almost comic book notion of Of white people and race. And I've lived all over the country. I've lived in the North. I've lived in the South. I grew up in the Northeast. I've lived in uh, North Carolina. I've lived in Kentucky. I lived in Tennessee. I've lived in Northern Florida. uh, I've lived in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Boston, Massachusetts. So I, I feel like I'm pretty darn qualified to talk about the differences in white people in the North and the South. And I have never, Never been able to discern a significant difference with regard to race between the North and the South. You might be able to get one between urban and rural, like white trash is white trash. And I'll acknowledge that white trash is more racist than non-white trash. Not maybe as much as you think, but they are. But they, 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 it was almost comical that, you know, they I mean, they're driving up north after being in the south and it starts snowing and they get pulled over by police and they think, uh-oh, we're going to get beat up by p- white police again because we got a black guy in the back of the car. And it turns out he just wants to help them with a flat tire because now they're in the north where it's snowing and there's no more racism among police anymore. What the fuck? This is this is an Academy Award winning movie? Not to mention the worst thing that happens to the main character, uh, Mahershala Ali, the black guy. Who's a singer on his tour, uh, his concert tour, happens in Louisville, Kentucky, a place I'm exceedingly familiar with, having lived there a couple of years. Now, granted, I lived way, way after this movie, based on a true story, allegedly happened. But in this movie, in 1962, this black singer goes into a white bar and gets the crap beat out of him because he's black and black alone. They give no explanation other than he's black and that's why he's getting beaten up in front of everybody just for sport, in 1962 in Louisville, Kentucky. Really? Seriously? In 1962, you know who the biggest hero in the city was by far? Muhammad Ali, who had just won the gold medal in the 1960 Summer Olympics. Most of Louisville is black. At least there are urban parts of Louisville is black. having spent two years in Louisville, again, much after this, but I don't think places change their spots that much. Louisville is about the least racist place I've ever lived. So I was offended by by that kind of bullshit. Again, I liked the, the story. It was acted well. I enjoyed it. But the Academy Award winner? And I think, you know, and similarly, Black Klansman, who was nominated for an Academy Award, and, you know, Spike Lee who's completely overrated, has become basically the Hollywood, he's basically become the Jack Nicholson character of the Academy Awards. He's like the new Moss mascot now. Uh, and, and, you know, he's revered as some sort of icon. I guess he made a few good movies early on, but in my understanding is he had very little to do with Black Klansman. He was just putting his name on it. I don't know that for a fact, but people in the industry have told me that. But I tried to watch Black, Black Klansman last night because I had a screener of that, and I couldn't make it through half the movie. I literally and I like the main actor. The main actor plays uh, Ricky Jared in Ballers on HBO, and I I really like him. And, and I wanted to like the movie. It's about a, allegedly a black guy who infiltrates the, uh, the Ku Klux Klan. And and the entire premise of the movie is just so ridiculously preposterous. I, I had to turn it off I, halfway through. I could not get through anymore. And he, he wins the Academy Award for best screenplay. We probably didn't even write a word of it. And he gets pissed off because it doesn't win the Academy Award for Best Picture? It was crap. Total crap. And I think the larger issue here is this shows the weakness of affirmative action. Because let's face it, a lot of this is, whether it's legitimate or uh, literal or figurative affirmative affirmative action, there's an element of affirmative action here. And what is the greatest horror of affirmative action? I get trying to right past wrongs, okay? But here's where two wrongs don't make a right. Because now, whether it's based in reality or not, I'm sorry. When I see a full-on black film, especially if Spike Lee is associated with it, getting an award, I presume the award is bullshit. I presume it's not really based on merit. I presume it's a part of an affirmative action plan. And how does that help anything? By the way, it doesn't even matter if it's right or not. It could be a a fantastic movie, but now, logically, I am forced, because we are manipulating the system to try to make up for past wrongs by creating more wrongs, we are devaluing the accomplishments of actual black people, because now I presume, oh, oh, okay, this must have been nominated because it's a black movie, or this must have been nominated because it's a gay movie. Like, Bohemian Rhapsody supposedly is terrible, not remotely accurate, uh, and I mean, the uh, the favorite was I didn't even realize the favorite was a, a complete lesbian movie. And of course, you know what? In a, in a weird way, none of this really all that matters, because one of the other things I predicted was that by Monday afternoon, we would have forgotten about the Academy Awards. And we essentially have. I even feel kind of silly talking about it on a podcast seven days later because we're living in a world where, you know, whatever Trump tweets next is all that anyone cares about. We have no attention spans, and we're so fragmented that nothing becomes a communal event anymore, not even the Academy Awards. I want to leave you on one other note. I have talked about this before, but boy, oh boy, I have been waiting to write an epic column about the most underreported environmental story, certainly in California, certainly in the United States, and maybe in the entire world, that the media is completely ignoring. And that is magically the Permanent drought here in California, which was uh, blamed for the wildfires that occurred in November of last year, and even resulted in Max uh, uh, Boot, a allegedly conservative commentator for The Washington Post, changing his position on global warming, going from a global warming skeptic to someone who is now a virtue-signaling believer— oh, embrace me, I realize the error of my ways, I, I now see the light, I'm I, all because of these wildfires, which, by the way, the wildfires could not have even have occurred one week later because it started raining one week later and hasn't stopped since. I am a religious viewer of the drought statistics because, to me, if global warming is real and climate change is real, our number one threat is drought, okay? Water is the lifeblood of existence, For humanity and everybody else, the number one danger, if there's really going to be global warming and climate change, is drought. It's not the sea levels rising. Okay, if you live, if even if the sea levels are rising, uh, guess what? First of all, you got plenty of time to fucking move. Number two, it's only going to impact you if you live right on the shoreline, uh, which is a pretty small number of people if you consider right on the shoreline. Um, So it's not the rising sea levels. And it's not inherently warming temperatures because, frankly, the globe is too damn cold as it is. However, you know, I get maybe hurricanes, but there's no ev- there is no evidence that we're seeing increased numbers of hurricanes or more hurricane damage. So far, I've seen nothing that indicates there's anything outside the realm of normal there. In fact, before the last couple of years, we'd seen decreased level of hurricane activity. But if there's one thing you got to be afraid of, if we're really all going to die, like uh, AOC says... It's drought. If that's the case, then why is there no fucking drought? Even here in California, we have seen in three months, we have gone from the drought is so bad that wildfires are engulfing the whole state, and that this is proof of climate change, to literally, I believe by the next time the drought tracker comes out, I believe that for the first time in the history of the of those records, there's not going to be an inch... And if it's not this way, it's going to be darn close. There's not going to be an inch of California that is even graded as dry. That's unbelievable. It's it, it, three months, three months, and this is not weather. We didn't get it all in in two storms that flooded the whole state. This has been, this has been systematic. This has been integral. This has been happened in frankly the best way possible. There's been very few mudslides, very little flooding. It's just been one rain after another rain after another rain after another rain. And guess what? That's the way it works here in California. Every five years or so, we get a really heavy winter and we're good for the next five years. You know why we got a drought last time? Because we skipped one of those five year rainy seasons. In 2015, 2016, it should have been a rainy season. We didn't get it. So we had a drought. Well, now Mother Nature's made up for it because now we've got the biggest rain that we've ever had in 2019 after a pretty heavy 2017. And we've got the biggest snowpack we've ever had for this date in the Sierra Mountains. And no one wants to talk about it. And I can't even write an article about it in Mediite without it driving me bananas because they're so afraid of someone taking on this narrative. And this is, this is right after the Jesse Smollett situation where, I, you know, I've got some pretty good capital at Mediite. I have to fight like hell. It's not even worth it. I have to fight like hell. I don't even know when and if this column is going to run. Because I have to, I have to prove everything to the, to the ridiculous degree. Because oh, you wait a minute—the science is settled. We can't possibly confront this narrative. Those aren't the words they're using, but that's the—that's the, what I'm facing. And it's just not worth it. Why bother? I should just write something, you know. Trump be bad again, you know. Then then everyone loves it. And then you don't have to. I don't have to worry about any bullshit. I can just write Trump is bad, and uh, I get no bullshit, no blowback at all. But that's the media environment. It has nothing to do with uh, Mediite. That's the media environment. In fact, I'm lucky at Mediite. They give me far more flexibility than anybody else would. It'd be far worse elsewhere. <laughs> oh, man. But uh, check out the drought. Just just Google uh, drought monitor, and you will see that California, the United States, and then go to other websites wh- which do the global drought. We have never, ever been in better shape. And this is after 20 years of the hottest years Of temperature on record, use your logic, folks. How can you go through 18 of the 19 hottest years ever? Supposedly, that's the narrative of global warming. How can you go through the 18 or 19 hottest years ever, and in that time period, have droughts significantly decrease from what it was 20 years before? Which is the case here in California, and it's the case nationwide. And we have an incredibly vast nation from Alaska to the tip of Florida. That's about as vast and uh, diverse uh, a geography as anybody's in the world. And that just doesn't make sense, especially here in California where there are no hurricanes and almost no thunderstorms, which you could argue would be generated by extra heat. In fact, it's been cold as shit this winter, not just wet. So thank God for the global warming or we really would be freezing our asses off here in California. All right. That'll do it for uh, this edition of the World According to Zig podcast. Make sure you check out now our number two, the Bill Crystal interview, and also the uh, Individual One podcast. I really need you to uh, help me there. Subscribe to it, rate it, review that show, share it via social media, and make sure you follow us on Twitter at Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. As always, I ask only two things of you. Make sure you uh, share this podcast as well via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, Uh, Do yourself a favor, and if you're one of those people who sleeps, and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com.
0: Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are, mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance Bedding by Sheiks. (laughs) Performance Bedding? (laughs) Yeah, they're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheeks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well... <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... oh, I don't know. Try them out again? <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheeks for 30 nights risk-free.